So part 11 in our series on the Gospel of John. And uh, my goal this week is actually the same as last week, to grasp what Jesus really means when he says, feed on me, and why this is one of the most important things you can ever learn. One of the most important things you can ever learn. It's a weird passage today, but it's actually very important. So an overview today, we're going to have a brief recap, carefully go through John 6, then talk about how we can actually do this, and then how we can put this in practice. And a sneak preview, we're going to actually end by having bread and wine, which is over there on the table. So we're going to actually do that as the last part of our sermon today. So we began with the first 18 verses looking at this beautiful tapestry of a poem that begins John and weaves in thoughts from right the way through John. And then we saw the first disciples, what made them believe on him? What was it? And John's very interested in why people believe what it is that causes some people to believe and others not. And then we saw water in turning to wine and how this was a, a challenge to belief, which Mary came up to the challenge. And in an extraordinary way, the miracle was began his miracles. Jesus' anger at the way his father was misrepresented in the temple, and he was going to be the new temple that was going to replace that. We saw then born from above this idea that actually that we must be born again doesn't do justice to the expression. It's more than being born again. It's born from above. And that's the other theme that is constantly through John's gospel is there's the theme of, of belief, what makes some people believe and some not. And the theme of from above that, that Jesus is from above and something from another world has to come into this world. And in fact, something has to come into you from another world. And becoming a Christian is actually getting this life that's from above, from heaven. And we talked about John 3.16 and God so loved the world that he gave the thing that was most precious to him. Um, the woman of the well, Jesus saw this woman's deepest need and then we saw the challenging story about a man who um, believed Jesus, but then he went on a journey, responding in faith, and his faith grew, and his faith was a journey, as we saw. Uh, we saw about new life at the pool, a man who was dried up, and we talked about how it was like a new creation that happened. And we talked about how why Jesus did this on a Sunday. And then, last time, we looked at this... the. This passage, Jesus fed the 5,000 and then he turned, he walked across the, um, the, the, the Sea of Galilee. And I'm gonna, come, gonna come back to this visual in just a minute as we explain what it was about. So, John chapter 6. Jesus said that people had to eat his flesh and drink his blood. What on earth was he talking about? Uh, it's a difficult passage, uh, to, but uh, as I said before, it's so important. Um, a key to understanding this passage is verse 57, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who consumes me will live because of me. And we'll come onto that in a minute. Uh, but that idea of a parallel there between one one um, relationship and another one. 
Another key is one that we saw earlier in John 4. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing of. So the disciples began to say to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did they? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to complete his work. And so Jesus is saying that doing the Father's will is actually like his food. And he doesn't, in fact, feel hungry because he's doing the Father's will. So let's just take a moment to pause at this point. I'm sorry I've been going rather fast. We're just going to slow down right now and look at the key idea from last week. The key idea was taken from verse 57. Jesus' relationship with the Father is a pattern for us. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the person who eats me will live because of me. Now, this was the core of what I said last week. So this is quite extraordinary because Jesus said, I am actually, I've chosen to put aside temporarily my my divine power. I could do miracles in my own power, but I've chosen not to. I'm going to live a life completely dependent on the Father to demonstrate what a human should be living, how a human should be living. So every miracle he did, everything he knew, everything he, he did that was in any way supernatural was not because it was he was God, but because he was depending on the Father. Now, you might think that is strange, um, but I went through a whole lot of passages last week, and you can watch the video if you don't believe me if you weren't there. Um, very many passages where Jesus says exactly this. He, d- he is chosen to do only the things that the Father has told him, only by his strength. And the reason he had to do that was because he can't be an example for us if he hadn't done that. How could he say, follow me and do these things if he had done them with an extra superpower that we don't have? So he voluntarily put himself in the role of a human, a a child of Adam, like us, so he could follow us. And I pictured this with this image. The father and Jesus had this relationship where Jesus derived all of his power from the Father, and he lived for the Father. And he says, you have the same relationship with me. And this is the idea behind eating his flesh and drinking his blood. This is the core idea behind this imagery. And that's what I talked about last week. But today I want to actually look at the words and unpack the words. So to summarize this, Jesus lived every moment and breathed every breath to obey the will of the Father. To do the Father's will was his drink, his meat. It was everything to him. He did not do anything in his own strength, but did everything by the power that flowed from the Father. So what I'd like to do now is to turn to that handout that you've got, that scripture passage that you've got there. And I'd like to spend a few moments looking at it. And uh, we're going to we're going to go through. Let's the first top part in the box is the narrative that comes before Jesus teaching. So let's read through the part in the box. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? 
Jesus replied, I tell you the solemn truth. You're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate all the loaves you want of bread you wanted. Do not work for the food that disappears, but for the food that remains to eternal life, the food which the Son of Man will give you, for God the Father has put his seal of approval on him. So he's introducing the idea here of this new food. So then they said to him, what must we do to accomplish the deeds God requires? Jesus replied, because they're assuming they've got some work to do. You know, if we earn, if we do the right kind of thing, God will give us the stuff. But Jesus says, no, it's not about the work. It's about just simply believing. This is the deed God requires to believe in the one whom he sent. So they said to him, then what miraculous sign will you perform so that we may see it and believe you thereafter some more food? What will you do? Here's a hint. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, just as it's written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So, as Jesus said, they're just following him because what they can get out of it. Jesus told them, I tell you the solemn truth. It's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but my father is giving you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said to him, sir, give us this bread all the time. So you can see it's a, a similar to the woman of Samaria that she says, give me this living water. They say, give me this bread. But Jesus, um, with, the, with the woman of Samaria, she responded, here they don't believe him. Anyway, let's look at, the, now there are two talks, there are two like discourses here that we have. And John is very good at marking out um, with with literary markers how his how his um, his the structure of the speeches, and we can see that there's some. It's quite neat the way this this happens. It's very precise the way he's done it. And partly I've given you the sheet because it's much harder to see it on the screen than on the sheet. And uh, what I've done is I've put some colours in there to help um, to help to see. But verse thirty five. Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. And that marks the, the beginning of the discourse. And then it ends here, verse 48, I am the bread of life. And then I've repeated that on the next page. If you turn the page over, he starts again. I, well, it's the same verse. I've repeated it. I am the bread of life. But that serves as the marker for the second discourse that goes through. And it ends up, the one who eats this bread will live forever. And so, that's the, the, the three points that mark the beginning and end of these sections. But also there's some other neat things that very precise. The one who comes to me will never go thirsty. The one who believes in me will never be thirsty. And then he ends this up. Um, I tell you the solemn truth. The one who believes in me has eternal life. And then an almost identical expression. Um, I told you. No, this, sorry, so the identical expression is the next one. We'll come on to that in a minute. Um, very, very similar expressions here in these first four lines about, I'm the bread of life, um, coming to me, you've seen me, and you'll come to me. And so Jesus introduces this idea of the bread of life. Um, let me just read it through. Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. The one who comes to me will never go hungry and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. But I told you that you have seen me 
and still do not believe. So that's the initial statement. And then he says, everyone whom the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never send away. Now we have the core of the teaching here. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. Now, this is the will of the one who sent me, that I should not lose one person of every one that he's given me, but raise them all up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, for everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him, in him to have eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day. Then the Jews who are hostile to Jesus began complaining about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I am the bread that have come down from heaven? Jesus replied, do not complain about me to one another. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. And you can see that pretty much summarizes what what is up here before um, about father drawing him and coming on the last day. And then he says, it's written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who hears and learns from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. I tell you the solemn truth, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. So this first this first set of teaching here, the, the key is it of it is that Jesus is from heaven, he's from the Father, he's come down from heaven, and he will raise them up on the last day. So, and they challenge that he's come from heaven. They say, you know, we we know where you're from. And they challenge this. So this is, if you like, this is the foundation of the teaching. I'm from heaven, I'm going to raise you up on the last day. And then they start complaining about the bread, what he says with the bread, they're complaining about that. And so he begins to unpack that in the, the most powerful of the teachings in this chapter. And this is, this is very precise the way it mirrors the beginning and the end. It starts off verse 39. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. And it ends up with the underlined verse there. It's not like the bread your ancestors ate, but then later died. And then, um, this is the bread that's come down from heaven, verse 50. Verse 58, this is the bread that's come down from heaven. Identical, identical lines there. So let's go through and see what he says. Um, this is the bread that's come down from heaven so that a person may eat from it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats from this bread, he will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews who were hostile to Jesus began to argue with one another, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So you might say, well, that's a reasonable question. Like, is Jesus, why isn't he explaining this? Why is he just talking about eating his flesh? If you were there, would you have understood it? Like, what's going on? Um, Actually, the word eat, he uses two different words to eat. In this passage, up till now, he's used a regular word to eat, but the word he's going to use from now on is stronger. It's chew on. It's actually to chew on. So, like you who chew on my flesh and drink my blood, it's it's kind of almost um, uh, 
shocking the way he says it. So this is the core, these verses here. Um, verse 53, Jesus said to them, I tell you the solemn truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood resides in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the person who eats me will live because of me. And so literally, the person who chews on me will live because of me, This is the bread that comes down from heaven. It's not like the bread your ancestors eat, but then later died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. Well, we don't have to imagine what they thought. It tells us, verse 59, Jesus said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Then many of his disciples, when they heard these things, said, this is a difficult saying, who can understand it? When Jesus was aware of his disciples were complaining about this, he said, does this cause you to be offended? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? If the the Spirit is the one who gives life, human nature is no help. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had already known from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. So Jesus added, because of this, I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has allowed him to come. After this, many of his disciples quit following him and did not accompany him any longer. So Jesus said to the twelve, you don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus replied, didn't I choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is the devil? Now he said this about Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for Judas, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Okay, difficult passage, right? If Some people uh, have said, if you want to give somebody who's not a Christian a gospel, give them the gospel of John. I don't recommend that. Give them like Luke or Mark. John is the hardest of the Gospels. Um, can you? Can anybody suggest why did Jesus use such weird language? Why did he do that? Well, I've got a suggestion for you. Um, um, so here's a story. Um, this is told by... Um, is from a, a magazine the Na- of the Naval Institute. A man called Frank Koch um, reported this event. And it's an event from the bridge of a battleship. Um, two battleships assigned to the training squadron had been at sea on manoeuvres in heavy weather for several days. I was serving on the lead battleship and was on watch on the bridge as night fell. The visibility was poor, with patchy fog, so the captain remained on the bridge, keeping an eye on all activities. Shortly after dark, the lookout on the wing of the bridge reported light bearing on the starboard bow. Is it steady or moving astern? The captain called out. Lookout replied, steady, captain, which meant we were on a dangerous collision course with the ship. 
The captain then called to the signalman, signal that ship, we're on a collision course, advise you to change course 20 degrees. Back came the signal, advise for you to change course 20 degrees. The captain said, send, I'm a captain, change course 20 degrees. Message came back, I'm a seaman second class, you'd better change course 20 degrees. By that time, the captain was furious. He spat out, send, I'm a battleship, change course 20 degrees. Back came the flashing light. I'm a lighthouse. We changed course. Uh, What's the point of that story? The point of that story is sometimes you need to be shocked. Sometimes you need... The idea of that story is that it kind of builds up suspense and then you learn a piece of information which is shocking and changes your direction. And if this is true, I've got to change direction. And sometimes we are so set in our ways and we think we understand it. We have to be shocked out of that groove. And one of the big problems... Jesus faced in his ministry is they thought they understood what it was about. They had a box for him to be in. They had a program for him to be on. Uh, the, we saw earlier in the chapter, they actually would have tried to seize him and make him king by force. And I want to say that we have the same problem. Even as Christians, we have a model of Christianity and we think we understand it. And we've got everything. And I want to say to you this morning, Jesus wants to shock you out of the course you're on and make you change course. And he's using language that we don't understand because we have to realize that we don't understand and we actually need to change our thinking in order to understand it. So I want to spend a a few minutes looking at this image of eating. What does this mean? Are there any references in the Old Testament to eating flesh and drinking blood? Well, let's look at blood. Um, Blood is used frequently in the Bible to mean violent death. And uh, there's a couple of stories um, in... um, in, in 2 Samuel 2, uh, 3.28, um, David, um, uh, sorry, that was, uh, oh yes, that, that was when uh, uh, David's, um, one of David's soldiers, Abner, um, was killed. And David said, well, I'm, I'm not guilty of his blood because I wasn't involved in that. Um, there are many places where we read of, of someone having a man's blood on their head. It means they're guilty of the death of that person. Um, but when the Bible refers to blood being poured out or being spilt or blood outside of the body, it's usually a metaphor for, for violent death. So the Bible means violent death when it's blood outside of the body. So let me just give you an example. When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Well, what's going on there? These these wicked, are they literally going to eat David's flesh? No, they want to benefit from his death. They actually want to take something. They want, they want his kingdom. So they want to eat his flesh. In other words, they want to get the things that he has. Um, another verse, David's running away from Saul and he remarked 
how much he would love to drink a drink from the well of Bethlehem. He's on the run. He's got loyal soldiers around him. They love him. And uh, he were, at, at that time, Saul had captured the town of Bethlehem. And so uh, some of his men who dearly loved David decided they would risk their lives to actually break into Bethlehem, get some water from the well and bring it back to him because he said he'd love to drink it. When he got it, when he got this water, he said, far be it from me, oh my God, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of these men who've put their lives in jeopardy? For at the risk of their lives, they bought it. So here we have um, the imagery then of drinking blood or eating flesh, meaning to benefit from somebody's death. And that's what's going on in those verses. Neither of them do they literally want to um, eat the person's flesh or drink the person's blood. Now, those who are listening to Jesus could have known these verses. A lot of them would know large chunks of the Old Testament by heart, certainly the Psalms by heart. And so um, the, that, that verse in the Psalms, they, a lot of them probably knew that by heart. Um, so that, that was, um, that was, that's a, a kind of a biblical background to this story, these images of eating flesh and drinking blood. I want to say to you, the primary, the primary image behind this is that food and drink are survival. They're survival of our very life. You, you can't survive unless you have food. Unless you, you, you lose it and you'll die. And it's something we need, not just once, but we need it moment by moment. Probably most of you have eaten today. Probably all of you have eaten this last week. Why? We have to eat all the time. How long can you go without drinking? Not very long. So this is the primary meaning that Jesus has for us in here. It's survival. Connecting to him is survival. Um, what he's teaching, to summarize it, we need to depend on him utterly, moment by moment, in order to survive. And he's using language so strongly and so radically because he wants to break through to us. This isn't an optional thing. This is your survival to connect to me. Your survival. And if you want to be raised up on the last day, it's me. I'm the only one who is able to do that. Um, there's uh, he is literally he is our drink. He is our food. Uh, there's another place in John's Gospel where Jesus uses an image of of, of uh, survival in this kind of way. Uh, it's the vine and the branches. You know, when Jesus said, you know, if you want to bring forth fruit, you have to be attached to the vine. And the branch is constantly br- having sap flowing through from the vine. It's a constant thing that goes through. What happens if the branch is separated from the the uh, the main the main branch what happens to it it withers and dies it cannot survive it just withers and dies so um so that i'm going to say is the primary meaning but i want to ask how do we do it how do we actually practically feed on his flesh and drink his blood well i'd like to take uh and I'm sorry for the, the number of references I'm going through for this, but I really want to do a thorough job on this because it is so important. Um, I want to ask the question, um, before I show you the answer, um, what is it 
that leads to eternal life, if eating Christ's flesh and drinking his blood lead to eternal life, what other things does he say lead to eternal life? Because if he also says other things lead to eternal life, then that will give us an idea of what these things are in parallel. So if the picture is eating his flesh and drinking his his blood leads to eternal life, and then there's some examples of how you do that, what are those examples? And so, can anybody tell me what we do to have eternal life? Believe. Yes, good. Somebody's, somebody's been paying attention to John's gospel. Yes, what else? Anything else? Trust. Trust. I'm putting trust and believe together. Yeah. Do the will of the Father. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's take you to the verses. Um, so here are some ones, uh, do not labor the food for the food that perishes. Can you see that? Make it bigger. Uh, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. This is the bread which comes down from heaven. Actually, I'm going to skip these because you know, these are the ones we've done. These are eating and drinking leading to everlasting life. Believing, obviously John 3.16, a couple in this passage, 6.40 and 6.47, um, about believing leading to everlasting life. But he also says, coming to me. I am um, the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his fire will flow rivers of, rivers of living water. And then one more. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, this is very important. This is similar to what Jesus said earlier about, I do, my food is to do the will of my Father. And then 6.56, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So abiding or obeying are they paralleled up. So those four ideas, I'm actually going to put them together into, um, into uh, an image. Um, let's just come, there we go. So, is that visible all right? So, eating and drinking on the top left there. Uh, abiding, obeying his words on the top right. Trusting, believing on the bottom left. Coming on the bottom right. And I've, I'm trying to build up an image here of what Jesus is talking about. Quite clearly, um, uh, uh, eating and drinking is connected with trusting and believing because we've seen that many times um abiding and obeying his words so i think that's also related closely to trusting because if you really trust that he's the way then you will obey his words you'll follow the words that he gives so so if you think how does that work um if jesus says something do this now if he is your food your life, your blood, then your your sustenance comes from actually doing his will. So Jesus says, my words are life in another place. So his words are like what we feed on. So we do that partly by reading the scriptures, and, and but also by obeying them and putting them into practice. And then um, by coming, and coming, of course, is another metaphor, but I think um, it's got the image of, 
leaving other things behind and coming to him. So you don't, you, 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 you stop trusting in other things. You stop trying to feed on other things and you come and feed on him. So, um, what does it actually mean in practice? It means when you have a choice, like Jesus says, I should do this, but I, I don't feel I can. Um, so I'll give you an example. Um, maybe, maybe, um, 30 years ago, I was in a church where I'd heard that somebody was spreading rumors about me and saying some quite unpleasant things about me. And I was upset about this, but Jesus' words were, I should go and speak to this person directly. And I didn't want to do that, but this is Jesus' words. And, but if I, this is a two-way thing. So I can only follow these words if I depend on him. So I read this passage actually, and it's, and it, it spoke to me and I thought, okay, I can't do this. This is going to be so scary. But I went to this guy. And I said, you know, somebody said to me that I heard you say this. And he, it, it actually worked out okay. I mean, it, he it had actually been saying these things, but he kind of apologized. And in fact, it all kind of got sorted out. But it was such a hard thing to do. And it was a critical moment for me and a critical moment for realizing I couldn't do it. I had to trust Jesus' strength. And it's a critical moment for me seeing these two things coming together. The feeding on Jesus means doing his will, and but actually depending on his strength to do his will. Those two things, because you can't separate those. If you try and do his will without his strength, you'll end up either being a Pharisee and doing the wrong thing or just failing all the time. And so you cannot separate this depending from the doing. And so this image that Jesus has of his flesh and blood is such a powerful one because he wants us to get hold of it vividly. He wants it to be as strongly in our imagination that, yes, I need to survive. I need you to survive, Jesus. I need you. I have to have you moment by moment. In southern Ontario, along the shores of Lake Erie, there's a highway called the Tolbert Trail. Have any of you here seen the Talbot Trail? This is the sign that you'll see as you go along. At the beginning of the 1800s, it was all wilderness. And Mr. Talbot was commissioned by the government to sell tracts of land to farmers. And sales were very poor because you couldn't get there. And it dawned on, P- on him that people wouldn't buy land they could hardly get to. And so there were no roads. He decided he would cut a trail through the forest to open up the interior. So he he cut this trail from Niagara right across the north shores of Lake Erie, right the way through. And then people could started selling the farmland each side of this trail. The road still today. Now it's a, a highway that's going through there. And you would call him a pioneer. This is what Jesus has done for you. Jesus has cut a road through the wilderness. He has cut a trail through the impossible forest so that we can follow him. He was the obedient one who lived a life of submission, of dependence, and of following the Father. And his life wasn't just merely a good example for us, but by means of us being united with him, We're able to do this because he's done it. We can do it because he's lived a life and he offers us his strength. He actually can do it.
If you're not a Christian this morning, this is a perfect image for you because Jesus has cut, has cut the way through. Jesus has, has actually made it possible. We're having no strength for you to go and you to enter into this. And he freely offers you his bread, which is his body, and the blood, which he will give to you freely to satisfy you and to sustain you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put up these verses now. I'm going to read them through. And as I'm reading them, we can start to eat and to drink. And I want you just to imagine this is, I want you just to imagine this is Jesus bread and blood that you're, I mean, not literally, but imagine spiritually you're taking in Jesus as you do this. So, okay, you can start now. Jesus said to them, I tell you the solemn truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood resides in me, and I in him. Jesus, we thank you. You didn't just come to save us from a distance. You came to give us your life so that your power is flowing into us right now. You're sustaining us moment by moment. Lord, we confess we sometimes, very often, try and live this life without you. And we fail. Jesus, we pray that we will remember to live by your strength, depending on you, moment by moment. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. We praise you. Amen.